So did you, did you mean those words that you just prayed, sang to God? Uh, did you mean those words? Yes, no, maybe so. Uh, that's interesting because <clears throat> probably last week, churches all over Oregon sang that song. Very popular song, You Can Have It All. And, uh, and, and then they found themselves evacuating and their houses burning. And so when we say those words to God, we really need to mean business with him and realize that God does own it all. And, and sometimes, sometimes things, we, we just lose things. And we need to make sure that we're wrapping our hope around in God. So let's just take a moment. We want to pray for the victims in Oregon because it's such a sad thing. But let's, but in our own hearts, let's just make sure that we're really ready and able and willing to say, Lord, you can have it all. So Lord God, I come before you today and I thank you, God, for today. And I, I pray, Father, for the, our friends and family and loved ones that, Lord, lost things in Oregon and uh, lost all of it. And Lord, I pray for them, God, in the name of Jesus, God, that you would do your work and your will and, and God, that you would just speak into those circumstances and provide emotional, spiritually, spiritual, uh, physical healing, God. I pray, God, that you would just be glorified by everything that is accomplished there and that, God, that you would allow the church to be the church and that they would step up and do exactly what you would have them to do. Thank you, Lord, for this day in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. If you're here at Grace, if you're at home, you can be seated too. Oh, that's right. You probably already were seated, right? So uh, we are so glad that you're on campus. We're glad you're here. And uh, we're glad you're online with us as well. Today, we're starting a brand new series called I Speak Jesus. And I am so excited about it. I'm excited about everything that we do here at Grace because it's all good. But I'm especially excited about this particular series because I believe that there's some things that we need as the body of Christ to understand what it means to claim Jesus, what it means to name his name, what it means to call myself a Christ follower, because I think there's a lot of confusion as to what that means in a lot of different circles. So here's the premise behind the series. This is what it is. This is the kind of the purpose statement, so be careful to listen to it very carefully. If we follow Jesus, we should start sounding like Jesus. So let me say that to you one more time. If we follow Jesus, we should begin to sound like him. People be, should around you should begin to say, when, you, when something comes out of your mouth, what they should say is, man, that sounds like Jesus. And it's not about quoting verses to people. I know a lot of people that just quote verses and it pushes people away. It doesn't draw people to Jesus. So people should just look at you and look at your life and uh, and really begin to see a lifestyle that matches your vocabulary, your heart, all those things. Speaking Jesus means that I live out his words in a loving context. That my words and my lifestyle and my motive are all in sync with Jesus. So let me see if I can help you understand what that looks like and what it doesn't look like. So many of you know that I've had the great privilege of traveling all over Russia and doing conferences and speaking and and uh, if you know anything about the Russian people, you know they love vodka. And uh, so I'm just going to tell you right up front, I hate vodka. That is not, you know, I just, I think it tastes like poison. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a fan. I'm just speaking that out loud. 
But for the sake of Jesus, I'm with unchurched people there all the time, and they love vodka, and they're always pressing in onto me and wanting to toast. And, and I get out of it as many times as I can. You know, there's been times that I've, you know, poured my vodka into a plant next to me. I mean, I've done, I've done a lot of sneaky things along the way. But every once in a while, every once in a while, I get caught in a circumstance where I just got to make the toast and I got to do it. And I'm with people that don't understand English. And so, so on a couple of occasions, you know, what I'll do is, you know, I'll smile. Outwardly, I'll smile. And in, inwardly, I'm thinking, I hate vodka. God, just give me the grace to swallow this stuff and not throw up. And so that's what I'm thinking on the inside. And every once in a while, when I'm certain that no one in the room understands English, I'll even say, I've even, on a couple occasions, I know this is not right. I'm not suggesting you try it. I'm just saying I did it. I'm confessing my crime here today to you all. Uh, Every once in a while, I'll say, as I'm smiling, I'll say out loud in English, I hate vodka. And then I'll just down it. And uh, I'm sure by the look on my face, they probably got the idea that I hate vodka. But here's what I want you to see. I'm not in sync when I do that, right? My words and my lifestyle and my heart are not in sync. The goal of the Christian life is to make those things to be in sync with Jesus. That is living out a life of being in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ. Living out in sync spiritually is when my lifestyle and my love matches my message. That's what it means. When I'm in sync with Jesus, it means my lifestyle and my love and my words match the lifestyle and love of Jesus. It's not using the Bible as a weapon against people. Let me say that one more time. It is not using the Bible as a weapon against people. It is using the words of Scripture. It's using the words of Jesus to plant them inside my life so out of my life flows by the power of the Holy Spirit, flows a lifestyle that's in sync, that is in tune. It is lined up with what Jesus would do and say if he were on the planet today. Now, before we begin today, I have to start by admitting that there are times that I might be out of sync with Jesus. And I say, that, <clears throat> I say that to you all because I am certain that those of you listening at home and those of you here in this building right now have times in your life when you are out of sync with Jesus, right? And here's what's hard. This is what's really hard. The religious leaders of Israel's day thought they were in sync with God and they were as far away from God as you could possibly be. The religious leaders in Jesus' day thought that they were in sync with God, but they were not. So that means that there is a possibility for my life and for your life, for me and you to think that somehow that our lives are lined up when they're really not. So here's where we start today. We start with saying, God, I might not be synced with you. Show me any area of my life that's not in sync with you. And I want to make sure you understand, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about that at all. We all blow it. I'm talking about having a general way of living that is in tune with the words and the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we discover in Luke chapter 15 how to begin to put our lives in sync with Jesus. So let's start there. If you brought your Bibles, you're welcome to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, we are going to, we're going to discover how Jesus embraced people outside of faith. 
And so this is really instructive. It's really powerful. And uh, in an age where our country is riddled with division, we need to listen to the words of Jesus. All right? We need to be make sure that we, as his people, are in sync. So in Luke chapter 15, we're going to begin in verse number 1, and this is what the Bible says here. Luke 15, 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I love that phrase. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Stop there. There is something, there is something about Jesus that caused people who were far from God to want to hear what he had to say. There was something in Jesus that drew, that repelled religious people and drew sinners. That's what Luke says in verse 1, 15, 1. Then it says, This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, I want you to see two things out of this passage that are really, really important. Number one, first, Jesus drew people who were extremely far from God. I, you can't miss that. Notorious sinners and tax collectors were drawn to his teaching. And second, religious people hated the fact that they did. Religious people hated the fact that Jesus would spend time with people whom they deemed as unworthy and unnecessary in life that's what religious people did in that culture so in Luke 15 Jesus speaks three parables three stories to them to try to get them to understand how far from God they really were and these parables or these stories that Jesus teaches were not directed towards the notorious sinners they were directed towards religious people like you and me so we do well to listen to what's in the story. So three stories. First story is that there's a man who has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. And uh, he, the question is, won't he leave the 90 and nine and go and find the one that is lost? And the answer, the implied answer is of course. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And, we and when he arrives home, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So this is very instructive. So in this pandemic that we're in, everybody's crying out to meet together, right? That's what we all wanted to do in this pandemic. And what Jesus was about is reaching the one lost sheep. You see the difference? You see the dichotomy there? The mandate or the mission of the church has always been to make disciples. That's what it's always been. And gathering is just one way that we do that. But the reality is, is that during this pandemic, there was more joy in heaven over one sinner coming to repentance than 1,000 or 12,000 or 15,000 who threw their masks off and said, we're going to meet anyway. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. There's more joy over one sinner coming to repentance. than that's what, that's what makes heaven move, is when someone like these notorious 
tax collectors and sinners come to Jesus. So here's what I find convicting in my life. Most of the time, in fact, often I'm going to say, I am annoyed by these sinners, by these sheep that get lost. Aren't you? Come on now, let's just be honest. Let's just talk about it. Let's just be upfront and real. Is that there are certain people that just are annoying. When we drive down the street and we see a drug addict, oftentimes we're annoyed that they're going to walk right past our car and ask for something. We're annoyed by this lost sheep. We don't see them as lost. We see them as someone who's, who is in my way or in, my, in, my, you know, in blocking my goals to whatever I am doing. And I'm just saying, I can't speak for you. I, I don't mean to speak for you. I'm going to tell you, I'm confessing before you, that sometimes what God calls precious, I call unclean. That's what religious people do sometimes. And every time I find myself doing that, of course, I repent. But the truth is, is that it's the reality of the culture that you and I live. Am, am I just, you know, are you, guys, you guys are just staring at me. Come on now. I mean, does that resonate with you? Does that, do you find, I'm going to talk to the TV right now. All right, does that resonate with, you guys aren't talking to me. So, so does that, if you come to services live, you have to talk back to me, okay? That's the rule, and we have to have fun doing it together. But the reality is, does that resonate with you? This passage, Jesus gets in our face. And he says there's more joy in heaven over one of these notorious sinners coming to faith than there is for the 99 claiming their own rights. That's what he's saying. The second story is like it. The second story, <clears throat> excuse me, is the, cor is the story of the lost coin. He says then, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light up a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? She's not going to be focused on the nine she has. She's going to be focused on the one she has lost. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there will be joy in the presence of God, God's angels when even one sinner repents. And then just to make sure that we wouldn't miss the point, he tells one more story. And here's the story. You probably have heard it a hundred times. It is the story of the prodigal son, the lost son. So here's what happened. A father has two sons, an elder brother and a younger brother. And by the way, the purpose of this story isn't to teach us about the younger brother, even though that's where the storyline follows. Jesus is teaching this story to the elder brother, about the elder brother. So here's the story. These two brothers are working side by side, and the younger brother says, I don't like doing this anymore. I, you know, there's parties to go to, there's friends to see, there's a, there's a whole world to conquer. So what he does is he asks the father for all of his inheritance. And so the father gives it to him. And, and, as, and as he goes and spends all of it, he wakes up one day and he discovers that he is sleeping with the pigs and he's eating pig food and he thinks to himself, he has this aha moment. He says, you know what? My father's servants, the ones that work for him, eat better than what I'm eating right now. I'm going to go back and I'm going to throw myself in my father's mercy and I'm going to ask him if I can just be one of his hired servants. So as he's going back, as he's, as he's going back, his father sees him from afar off. He says to the older brother, 
look, that which was lost is found. He's coming back. Let's have a party. And the elder brother is disgusted with the father's love and affection to this son who's, you know, and he says, I was here the whole time. Wasn't I faithful? I didn't miss one online service at Grace Church. Not even one. And all this time, you have never thrown me a party and you have never done these things for me. And, uh, and so the story is about the elder brother, friends. Listen to me. It's about pointing out to religious people that sometimes we act like the elder brother. You would think that his younger brother is found and he would be, he'd be rejoicing, and he, you know, and, but he's not. He is just downright angry because that's what religious people do when God is merciful to notorious sinners. That's what religious people do. They get angry at notorious sinners when God is gracious to them. So as you think about those three stories, I think what we all can conclude is this. I hope you conclude is that maybe what I need to do in my life is to learn how to speak Jesus so that my life is in sync with him so that I'm not, I don't get caught proverbially with my spiritual pants down and find myself being the elder brother when I really shouldn't be the elder brother, when I shouldn't be that person that is disgusted when God is gracious to the notorious sinner. So I'm going to conclude, and I'm going to spend the next 10 minutes anyway, 14 minutes actually, I'm going to spend the next 14 minutes talking to you about what does that look like in my life. If I'm going to sync my life with Jesus, and I'm going to learn to speak Jesus, what is that going to look like inside of my life and I think there there are lots of things I could talk about but I've chosen to talk about six things if I'm going to learn I've got to have these six things in my life if I'm going to learn to speak Jesus first of all this is what I've discovered about Jesus as I've studied him and to become his follower Jesus genuinely loves people who everyone else hates that's what I've noticed about him he's the curve buster he he goes after the person that everyone else is annoyed by that's what I have you noticed that in scripture and then everybody that's around him gets angry at him so the first thing that we see is that people go after Jesus goes after people like Matthew the tax collector in fact I have a clip here I want to show you this is from a new film came out last year about the life of Jesus so let's watch this we live in the same world Matthew next Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew! Matthew, son of Alpheus! Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... 
are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. My favorite line from that section of scripture, uh, section of movie right there is get used to different. That's what Jesus says to all of us. Get used to different. Because I think, this is what I think, I think sometimes we're more like our culture than we are like Jesus. So we need to get used to different. We need to look, and, and notice that even the disciples were questioning Jesus' choice of Matthew. You know why he was behind that metal cage? It was to protect him from the Jews because that's how hated he was. That's the choice that Jesus made. And everybody around him questioned why he would choose Matthew. And yet Matthew became this devout follower out of which one of the gospels came. It was amazing. That's the first thing that I see. Jesus, as you think about it, genuinely loves people who everyone else hates. Second thing that I'd noticed as I've looked at the scripture and studied Jesus is Jesus was intentional with his relationships. He was very intentional with them. He wasn't haphazard. He knew exactly what he was doing. And listen to this. This is so important. Jesus didn't see people as projects to be won, but people to be loved. Let me just resonate with that for a second. Jesus didn't see people as projects to be won he saw them as people to be loved and there's a vast difference between that there's a vast difference is when I you know someone one of those homeless people walk past me and and I they're my project for the day and I pull out five bucks and I say hey come over here and I give them five bucks that's a project when you do that that's a project there's a difference between that and loving people from the heart loving people right where they are having genuine love and compassion on people's lives. That's what it means to speak Jesus, is it means to stop looking at my, my, the people around me as projects and simply loving them for who they are. Thirdly, I think Jesus doesn't put his standards on outsiders like you and I do. You know, we have a list. We have a list, right? Everybody has a list of rules. And we, and we judge people based upon whether they perform or they don't perform. Jesus doesn't put standards on outsiders. He doesn't expect people without the Holy Spirit to act as if they did. Unbelievers are going to act like unbelievers. They're going to be very messy. They're not going to walk with Jesus. They're not going to talk like Jesus. They're not going to act like Jesus. And that's the people that you and I are called to speak into and to love. And we can't put our standards on other people's lives. I don't care if they have a different lifestyle than we have. I don't care if they have a different sexual orientation than we have. If they don't have the Holy Spirit, I can't assume that I can put my standard on anybody else. I mean, that is so important. And then fourthly, see your love as an act of worship. See your love as an act of worship. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus He's talking about the end of the age. 
and when he's going to come back and set up his kingdom and, and how he's going to judge the nations. And in, in the middle of this, chapter 25, verse number 40, there is an amazing verse of Scripture that says, and the king will say, that is Jesus, will say, I tell you the truth, <clears throat> when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it unto me. Every time I act in compassion and love on someone who has less than me or doesn't have my sense of entitlement or doesn't have what kind of lifestyle that I have. Every time that I do that from the heart as an act of, as an act of love, it is actually an act of worship. In fact, what I want to say to you is just a few minutes ago, we sang some songs, right? Chances are, if you're like me, I'm easily distracted. And so I'll come in and out of a song, I'll, you know, uh, there'll be a line of a song and I'll be thinking about it and pretty soon the next song is already playing and I haven't heard anything else. Has that ever happened to any of you? We're easily distracted. What I'm telling you is that there's more likely more worship that happens when you empty yourself of the right to be regarded as important and just serve other people. That's the ultimate act of worship to God. That's what it means to speak Jesus. That's what it means to speak Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus did. And then fifthly, Jesus saw everyone through the eyes of the cross. So what does that mean? I mean, we talk about that all the time, right? We need to see them through the cross. What does that mean? I just need to see people through the eyes of the cross. That's a really important question. So let me see if I can answer it. First of all, God establishes my worth. God established my worth, not based upon my performance, but based on the price that he paid for me. That's my worth. So I can legitimately <clears throat> say to God, I am worth, I can say to you, I am worth God's son. And that is not pride. That's fact. It's just fact. I am worth God's son because Jesus was the ultimate purchase prize, right? He was the payment. What did the father pay for me? He paid Jesus. That was the payment that was made on my behalf. So I can legitimately say, I am worth God's son to God. So if that's true of me, it's, true, it's also true of the people that I'm running in contact with, even my enemies. Even my enemies have a worth that's based on the cross. So I need to learn the discipline to speak Jesus. I need to learn the discipline of seeing people through the worth that God has established inside of their life and that is so amazing. And then sixthly, lastly, to speak Jesus, I need to, I need to, be, I need to desire to be with sinners. That's what, that's what Jesus did, right? He desired to be with sinners. So I want to end with this story. Jesus is called the friend of sinners, clearly within Scripture. That was said in accusation against him, but it actually is a strong attribute. Jesus is a friend of sinners. So in my generation, there was a university that was established called Liberty Universities. It was established by Jerry Fowell Sr. Now his son has kind of messed things up. Some of you know that, but his son has kind of got off the deep end. But Jerry Fowell Sr. was the real deal. He was genuine. Established a church and a university. And uh, he became, with a lot of heat, he became a close friend of Larry Flint. 
Now, I don't know if you know who Larry Flint was, but he was the owner of Hustler Magazine. And Hustler Magazine makes Playboy look like kindergarten stuff. So here Jerry Falwell was. He befriended Larry Flint, who was involved in pornography, hardcore pornography. And they would go around the country and they would debate each other. They were arch enemies on stage. But Jerry Falwell off stage would just act in kindness and friendship. Gave him rides home. They exchanged Christmas cards. So Larry Flint writes about Jerry Falwell Sr. These words, these, this is Larry Flint's words. He says, ironically, <clears throat> Falwell Sr. and I actually became friends. We enjoyed many cordial visits, participated in debates across the country and even exchanged Christmas cards. I have to concede, this is Larry Flint's words. I have to concede that his friendship with me proves that for the most part he was practicing an essential tenet of his faith. Larry Flint saw it and was, in my opinion, a sincere Christian. The goal of your life should be that very thing right there. That a notorious sinner would say about Larry Flint's a notorious sinner. He was in my generation. He was hated by the church. Jerry Falwell was an enemy of his on stage as they debated. But this notorious sinner said about Jerry Falwell, he's the real deal. His faith is genuine. It's sincere. And my friend, I hope, no, I, more than that, my prayer for you is that someday a notorious sinner would say that about your life and my life. That not because I preached to them, not because I was right, but because I spoke Jesus, that my faith is seen as legitimate and sincere. You may disagree with it, but you can't deny it. And that's what it means to speak Jesus, friends. This is such an important thing. And I think you'll agree that the church of Jesus, at least in America, has swung so far away from that, speaking Jesus to a culture that people don't recognize when Jesus is in the room. And that's on us. That's on us as his people. So, Let's learn to speak Jesus. Would that be a good thing to do? Let's learn to set aside our pride and let us learn to speak Jesus so that notorious sinners like Matthew can find Jesus. Lord God, thank you for your great truth, God. Thank you for your great love in our lives. And may this be true in our lives, God. May you, may you create within us such an amazing work of grace that we just have a desire to speak Jesus. And I pray these things in your holy and amazing son's name. Amen.